You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Heart disease is still the leading cause of death in the United States, both for men and women. One American dies every 37 seconds from cardiovascular disease, totaling 647,000 each year. Now that's one in every four deaths. 50% of all Americans have at least one of the top three risk factors for heart disease. That includes high, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and smoking. Today, we have a very, very special guest. He's a world-renowned integrative cardiologist and the CEO and founder of HeartWise Fitness and Longevity Center in sunny Southern California. I am so grateful that he is my personal heart physician, my good friend, Dr. Elkin. So honored to have you here at Wellness for Life. Howard? Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I know it's going to be fun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, please give us uh, share with the, the audience, what's the difference between an integrative cardiologist versus a regular cardiologist? Great question. Well, uh, the traditional cardiologist, what we learned, taught us how to diagnose cardiac problems, and then we basically fix it. So let's say uh, someone's got chest pain. We often would do stress tests and might lead to an angiogram, then we put a stent in if there's a blockage, um, and that's basically it. Um, but the problem with that is that patients come back, the recidivism rate is very high. People come back with recurrent chest pain. One stent can often lead to another stent uh, or a bypass, another bypass. So we really never get to the root of the problem. So we're treating, it's kind of like the sophisticated Band-Aid approach. Um, it, the, the solutions work, but they're temporary. So an integrative cardiologist like myself, we try to really identify the risks, what led to the patient, to be, what, led, what led to this problem? What's the, what's the status of inflammation? What is the metabolic picture like? What are the genetic factors? So we look at, we do a holistic approach to come to a way to assess a person's risk. And we go from there. So it's really about risk stratification and treating the right people and not treating the ones that don't need to be treated. Mm, great. Awesome. So with that being said, you know, with integrative cardiology, uh, there's always we got to talk about the big thing about your diet, heart healthy diet. For, so for 2020, what is it that you recommend? Great question, too. Uh, for 2020, I mean, I think the best diet, for, for is if you look just at cardiac, it really also depends on uh, a patient's, uh, with their metabolism, their, their metabolic picture. But let's just take the average person who's got cholesterol issues or high blood pressure or whatnot, who just wants to avoid a cardiac problem. So I'm kind of between the Mediterranean diet and the paleo. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I like the Mediterranean diet because there's been more studies on that than any other diet when it comes to preventing heart disease. That starts with the PREDIMED study, P-R-E-D-I-M-E-D, and that came out in uh, 2013, and there's been some modifications since. But it was a large um, uh, international study. It showed that people that adopted the Mediterranean diet had less, less heart disease. Uh, now, I think it's a bit more carbs than I like, so I kind of drift more to a paleo diet. And the way I define that is if it doesn't grow naturally or run in the wild, it probably doesn't belong to your plate. But they both are natural foods, nothing processed, um, and limited grains and carbs. Um, that's basically where I go. Uh, sugar is the 
big corporate with heart disease. I know everyone's thinking it's fat and it's cholesterol, and that's what you were taught 20 and 30 years ago. But we unfortunately taught getting the wrong picture. The culprit really is sugar. It's inflammatory, and it's really dangerous to the heart itself. And there's a myriad of problems that come about. So my thing is somewhere between my training in paleo and low in the sugar and carbohydrates. That's in a nutshell. That's, that's not looking at specific patients. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned fats. Uh, right now, the big thing is keto, ketotarian, right. keto, uh, going on a ketogenic diet where there's a lot higher levels of fat. And uh, the type of fats that they that rec- they recommend is even animal fat. Now, in my practice, I look at the blood um, markers. Every patient, when they come in, we always get blood testing done first because I want to know what is their baseline. And more often than not, now, doctor, I see that when their levels, you know, let's say for some of my patients, they've been really good with their cholesterol level. um, And then all of a sudden it goes up 30, 40, 50 points. I then start asking about their diet and what they've changed. And very often it's they've increased their levels of animal fat. What's your take on that and what should we do? Great, great question also. Well, here's and, and what, you're, what you're noticing is what, what the typical picture when people go keto and really increase the amount of fat. And the jury's really not, it, it, you know, it's happened to my own patients. Um, so you will see an increase in cholesterol and perhaps LDL. Is it a bad thing though? So that's what we don't know yet. Is it really bad that we see an increase in total cholesterol and LDL in people adopting this high-fat diet? Uh, first of all, I will let you know that saturated fat is, is not as bad as we think, think it is. Back in the 60s, the American Heart Association thought it was the, it vilified it. You know, it was the worst thing in the world as far as carp- is causing heart disease. But we now know that... Um, it's not so simple. I will tell you, and I've reviewed these studies, it has never been shown that saturated fat in itself leads to death of heart, from heart disease or death from any cause. So I don't eat unlimited amounts of saturated fat because I still think it's a, it's a confusing issue. But when I see someone's cholesterol go up when they're on a keto diet, then I'll say, okay, what have we, what's, in, what's improved? Has the, person, has the patient lost weight? Is their total metabolic picture better? Is their insulin level lower? Is their blood sugar lower? Are their inflammatory markers lower? Which is often what I'll see on a ketogenic diet. So you have to take the good with the bad. I am not a cardiologist that just looks at LDL and goes crazy. But I will tell you that a lot of my colleagues will put all these patients on statins and say you should get off this diet and you should be on a statin. I don't necessarily agree because I look more at the total risk of an individual patient, just like you do. Such a great point. And I love the fact that you, what you're using is, like you said, as a holistic integrative doctor, you look at everything that is creating impact. And you're right that some of these individuals uh, can digest fat properly. They can convert, utilize the cholesterol uh, in the saturated fats better in converting into the um, the downstream, more hormones, better cortisol right. level, aldosterone, all of that, pregnenolone. So that's, that's awesome. Let's talk a bit about cholesterol because this is huge. I mean, there's a major like 
uh, one side or it's the other. <laughs> you either got to bring that cholesterol down um, and or you got, you don't you don't need to because there's other reasons why it's so important. So I know they're overtreated. Uh, the amount of statin drugs that are dis- distributed is it's really ridiculous. But um, and a lot of people do have like 10, 20 percent do have repercussions from statins. Um, yes. But a lot of them are not treated properly either. So can you tell, tell us what your approach is as an integrative cardiologist? Absolutely. Okay, first we need to separate primary prevention from secondary prevention. So let's say we have a patient that has known coronary disease. They've had a heart attack, they've had a stroke, or they've had a stent, or they've had uh, a bypass surgery, any of, of the above. These are high-risk patients. Uh, and these patients we tend to treat, and I agree with treating these patients more more vigorously because we have the data. We have the data from the 90s, the 4S study, amongst others, said that people with secondary prevention really do need to have their LDL cholesterol lower. So even though I am holistic, I'm strict with this population of patients. Um, and also with diabetics, because you have to remember that diabetics, about 70% of them will have either a heart attack or a stroke in their lifetime. So we treat diabetics as if they have heart disease, if they haven't clinically presented. So that's one, that's a big group of people right there that I see. And so I am more strict with this group. As far as primary prevention is concerned, I'm much looser because um, it, it, it's the, the studies just really haven't been there. There's been a lot of studies on primary prevention, and there's been a lot of controversy. Um, I'll just give you an example. There's a patient that came to me for a second opinion a few weeks ago. She has to breast cancer, and she's being treated for that. And the doctor noticed that her cholesterol level was high, so sent her to a cardiologist at, UC, excuse me, at UCLA, and the says, you need to be in the statin. She said, really? But I have no other risk factors for heart disease. I've got breast cancer. So she came to me as a second opinion. I said, you don't need to be in a statin. <laughs> um, so the knee-jerk reaction in my profession with traditional cardiologists is that, oh, you have high LDL, you have high cholesterol, you should be in a statin. And see, it's overused in that population of patients. Um, especially in women, okay, it's, I don't think there's ever been a study on women for primary prevention that's shown that statins have prevented heart disease or strokes. It's different with secondary prevention, again, but primary prevention, even certainly in women, I'm more lenient. But I get these consults all the time. Um, it's it's crazy. So, in essence, it's separating primary prevention, secondary prevention. Secondary prevention, yes, we want to be more aggressive. But I will tell you one thing. Being the holistic doctor that I am, I have a lot of patients that come to me uh, that have fired their previous cardiologist because they only insist that they be on uh, statins and nothing else, no, no supplements. So they come to me knowing that I will bend the rules, and I will, because I'm not going to tell someone they have to be in a statin if they don't want to be, even if they're high risk. And some of my patients do well because we look at everything else. We look at the big picture. Mm, that's great, yeah. Have you heard... Uh, Dr. Elkin, about the uh, website called the Framingham Heart Study. It's a project uh, done from Boston University and the National Heart Lung Blood Institute. And actually, it, it, it looks at a lot of the predictors that you, took, you told, you spoke about, you know, the diabetes and, and all that. Uh, but um, they look at specific predictors, age, diabetes, smoking, uh, whether it you have treated or untreated systolic blood pressure, which is, you know, whether you have high blood pressure or not, total cholesterol, right. HDL, and BMI, um, 
and or lipids, you know, looking at your lipids level. Anyway, it's a very interesting little um, study where it, there's an inter- interactive risk score for your heart mm-hmm. age. Have you taken a look at that calculator? I have. Yeah, I haven't looked at. I mean, the Framingham study started in 1948. That's where it dates back, and it's amazing with the work they've done over the years. So there've been lots of updates. So I'm not familiar with the most recent update. Is this recent update you're you're talking about? Yes, yes. If you go to uh, for the listeners, Dr. Suzanne, that's D R S U S A N N E dot com forward slash health heart. Excuse me, heart age heart age. Age, A-G-E, you're going to be able to go to that link. And okay. it's, there's one where it, it literally scrolls down under cardiovascular disease. Uh, there's an interactive. Interactive means you can plug in your numbers. You can okay. plug in your Yes, your I am familiar with this. Okay. They, and yeah, they, they have very this, interesting. They've done it for a while. Yes. You know, I haven't used it myself because I haven't thought to be necessary because I look at all the risk factors. Um so we, if you want to know how I kind of approach it, we can talk about I that. I do. But, but it is a good yeah, – I'm familiar with the heart age. I don't personally use it because let's say someone comes to me uh, with blood pressure and or cholesterol issues. Well, first of all, I rarely will rush to put them on blood pressure medication unless I've seen them more than – usually I want to get three independent readings before I put them on blood pressure medication. Um, and we'll talk about blood pressure after, but let's look at the cholesterol issues. So then let's, let's say they have an abnormal lipid panel. Before I do anything, I'm going to say, you know, we need to get a little more specialized testing. So I either we use Boston Heart Lab, which I like very much, or Cleveland Heart Lab, which has been recently bought out by Quest Diagnostics. Um, and that gives me a lot more information than just LDL, HDL, and triglycerides. It tells me the particle size and the particle number. And all your listeners have to remember is bigger is better. So whether it's HDL or LDL, the bigger the particle size, the uh, more favorable it is, the less likely it is to become oxidized and cause plaque in the arteries. That makes a difference. um, And as far as treatment, because the treatment will be different. And once I do that and look at their inflammatory markers and their metabolic markers, and also some genetic markers, they'll come back and we'll say, okay, this is what we're up against. Your high risk, low risk, and medium risk. And that kind of does what you, what the Framingham you know, heart age does, but it does it in a kind of a broader sense. And then if I'm really concerned, I will then go ahead and schedule a coronary artery calcium scan. And that gives me a numerical value of the calcium in someone's arteries. And I happen to like Harbor UCLA because they have a database of 30,000 people. So they'll say, okay, well, how do you compare to other 58-year-old men or 58-year-old women? And then it says, okay, you're in the 20th percentile, which means 80%, you do better than 80% of the people in the population. Well, what if you're in the 90th percentile? So it helps me to help the patient say, okay, doesn't mean you can have a heart attack or stroke, but we need to do some work here. So that's what risk stratification is. I start with labs, then the labs may be more specialized. Then if I'm really concerned, I'll order that scan. These are all non-invasive, relatively inexpensive tests that are generally covered by insurance. Fantastic. Uh, You mentioned about particle size, that bigger is better. About the particle number, can you explain a little bit about that and uh, what's important here? Particle number, it tells you about the L, really we look at mostly with LDL. So an LDL can be just a numerical value, and oftentimes it's calculated. 
it's a calculated value uh, from, and, and you have to have a triglyceride level less than 400 for even to be calculated. But they can measure it, and these specialized labs do. And then they also measure the particle number, and that gives me an idea of the part of the mass. Like you can have an LDL that's like pseudo high, and then you have a particle number that's really high. So kind of what I do, this is a easy way of figuring this out. Let's say the LDL is like 140. Okay, then I'll add like a zero onto it, and that tells me where the particle number should be. So let's say it's 1400. Okay, but if it's 2000, that's a a large particle number. That's a lot of LDL mass, which is another risk factor, so to speak. So I take that into consideration with the LDL particle size. So this number and size... um, and so you're saying they, that the higher the number, that's what you don't want. Uh, you want uh, yeah. bigger size of the particle, yes. but you don't want higher number of particles. Right, right, exactly. So, and also with HDL, you know, we used to think, oh, HDL is healthy. And I think of HDL as healthy, H, and LDL is lousy. But it's not so simple. And um, you can have a high HDL, but you might have a large particle size. And that actually is protective against heart disease. So, again, these specialized labs will do that. They'll give you the size of your HDL and your LDL. And if you just remember that bigger is better, then you'll have a good – you'll walk out of there with an idea of where you are. If but you had, I will tell you that most, most cardiologists do not order these tests. <laughs> right. That's right. If you have a high HDL, could that be a problem to some individuals? Yes. Thank good, very good question because it's now found that some people are having HDL of like 80, 90, 100, over 100, and saying, ooh, that's got to be really good, right? But now they're saying the higher the number is not necessarily better. In fact, it may be dysfunctional HDL, which is very interesting. So um, that's, again, when particle size is helpful um, because if they have a high HDL and they have favorable particle size, then that, that, that's, that's a good thing. Mm. Yes, it may be it may uh, dysfunctional meaning it may not be processed properly in the liver and uh, made into bile, etc. Exactly, and it's you know I don't know if you remember this, but there's been at least two two attempts, maybe three, since the late '90s, in which we tried to develop medic- pharmaceuticals that would increase your HDL. Uh, the first one was by Pfizer, and I forgot I think the second was Merck. I'm not quite sure, but they all these trials were just they did they were they were discon- they were they were halted because there were actually more deaths from these people that were ha- that were getting giving high HDL levels. That was before we were doing particle size. So I don't know what happened. And kid, I think the liver all this has a lot to do with it because HDL is reverse transport. It takes cholesterol from the blood to the liver to be reprocessed. But for some reason, whenever we try to pharmaceutically increase the HDL, um, the patients did worse. And mm. these trials were halted mid, midway. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, ju- just a few years ago, everyone was, you know, over 50, the cardiologists would, would recommend taking a low dose of aspirin to avoid heart attack or strokes. Now, we're told that not to do this anymore. So what's the reason for the change in recommendation, Dr. Elkin? And is there an alternative? Right. Okay, so that stems from the uh, ARRIVE trial. It, was, it came out a year ago, 2000, actually 2018. The large trial of over 12,000 patients, if I remember correctly, they had moderate risk. This is, again, primary prevention. Moderate risk for heart disease. They had high cholesterol, hypertension, various risk factors. And they studied them. It's an international study. 
and um, they found that they did no worse taking they did no better there was no real protection now, this is interesting because I never believed that everybody over 50 should be on baby aspirin um, I always felt like it should be an individual thing but so when this trial came out I personally wasn't that surprised so now we don't just give it out to everybody over a certain age because it's going to stave off heart disease how I do it I personalize it um, of course if you've had a heart problem Again, a coronary stent or a bypass or, you know, then you could, I would put you on a baby aspirin without fail. If you have a couple of risk factors, I probably won't unless you have multiple risk factors and a big family history. So I individualize it. Um, but the thing – but no longer do we just pass it out for everybody over a certain age. It was based on that trial that came out two years ago. Mm, thank you. Thank you. I'd like to talk a little bit about inflammation, how it plays such a vital role in in all diseases, you know, when it comes to aging, of joint problems, gut issues, but also very important in heart disease. Uh, how important. do you recommend us all to combat inflammation from a cardiac standpoint? I look at inflammation as the bane of our existence for all the diseases of aging, the big four, I call it, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune disorders, and Alzheimer's. They have that one thing in common, inflammation. So I kind of look at it not just from a cardiac standpoint, from a functional medicine, integrative doctor standpoint. So um, because it's changed. When I was a fellow, okay, we just thought, okay, so you have coronary disease and you got cholesterol, and it be a 30% becomes an 80%, then you have a 90%, and eventually you have a heart attack. That's not true. What we learned years later in the late 80s and 90s was that inflammation was the main culprit here. So you can have a 50% blockage or stenosis, and all of a sudden the plaque becomes unstable and ruptures. Then you have a heart attack. And what's the what's, what's, what's cause of that? Inflammation. So inflammation really is, leads to the progression of coronary disease. It's very important, the progression, because it's years in the making, years in the making, and you often don't have any so signs or, or symptoms, you know, and what's happening is inflammation is being laid down with form of scar tissue, calcium, uh, lipids, cholesterol, all in the, in, the, in the arteries themselves. And that's why I look at particle size, because if you have a small particle size, which is not good, you have about a 30% more like a 30% chance of that LDL getting oxidized. So oxidation is a chemical process that takes place. It changes that LDL. Once it becomes oxidized, that's the night is for inflammation. That's where it starts. And the artery will change from that point on. And then eventually um, you have a plaque that stable that becomes unstable. The big thing is how do we separate a, a, you know, a stable condition, stable plaque from unstable plaque, which is a whole different issue. We haven't found that answer out yet. But um, so... Um, as far as, so I have patients and I also always follow inflammation. I follow the CRP, the fibrinogen levels. I also do a couple of more vascular LP, a couple other tests as well. And, and I try to find the cause of the, for the, of the inflammation because, um, so I do, I look at the, I took up my, my, my functional medicine cap. I'll look at the oral cavity. I have sent patients to periodontists because I don't trust the average dentist. I don't mean to step on any toes here, but a lot of them do not really do deep pocket exams good enough. And um, so I have found patients that went to regular dentists, they found nothing wrong, and they went to a periodontist, and they have major inflammation going on. That's, a good, that's the number one source of inflammation. Um, 
for any of these diseases we talk about with aging. And then the gut, you already mentioned the gut, oh my God. <laughs> so we do a lot of gut work here because we have to find out the cause of inflammation before we just treat it. And that's kind of the route that I take. And, um, but it, it is a major, it's a major issue with, with heart disease. I would say the major um, culprit and also the, what leads to the progression of the disease. Mm. And we didn't Thank know that you. 30 years ago. Right, right. And that's all that. I believe it's key. Key. We've got to find the root cause of that inflammation as you do. Thank you so much. God, I wish we can talk more here. We've got so much, you know, more we can share about. But we're going to have to have you back for other other um, types of information about the heart. You've given us so much information. Thank you so much, Dr. Elkin. Uh, Loved having you here. <laughs> okay. Now, Thank you for listening to this show. I know you've all learned a great deal about heart, heart health, what you can do today, changing your diet, making sure that you get the right markers tested, um, and that inflammation is so important, viable to getting to the root cause of it so that we can minimize and really possibly even stop any forms of heart disease in the future. Now, if, if you can share this with your loved ones, this show can be truly save their lives. And please subscribe if you haven't already so we can continue to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. If you need help in digging deeper with your health issues, uh, you can actually, when it comes to heart health, you know, please go to Dr. Elkin's website, heartwise.com, heartwise.com. He works with people and even uh, do consults over the phone. If you need uh, to communicate with me in some way, you, you can get my contact info at drsuzanne.com, my website. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.